this house and this family, it's uh, really representative of as fathers and mothers uh, uh, in community uh, that we pray blessing uh, over our families, over our kids, um, and not just when they're performing really well. See, the blessing of God wasn't meant to just be a trophy or a medal when you earned something uh, or when you won a game, but the blessing of God was meant to be uh, the outpouring of his nature and his spirit. Uh, and so that's a really significant thing, really meaningful, that we want to pray over uh, our children, over our families, over this community. Man, we love, 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 love Las Vegas. I was just thinking about it. I was sitting down with somebody yesterday, um, uh, and they were telling me about some of the history of their business, and I just loved listening to it because it reminded me of old Vegas. How many of you guys have been in Vegas like longer than 20 years? Yeah, yeah. Remember when when certain streets didn't go up very far, and uh, I used to think Centennial High School was literally the end of the earth. It was like there was the, there was Centennial, and then just orbit. <laughs> Uh, but uh, the, old Vegas has this certain vibe and a certain feel to it. But you know, when you choose to love a city, it means that you love all of the aspects of the city, the good parts of the city. You love the, the dark parts in terms of the struggles in certain places where there's drug-riddled or crime-riddled aspects. You choose to love the people in those places of difficulty, of challenge, of of darkness, and, and when you choose to love a city, it's not just the, the glorious, wealthy aspects. It's also some of the parts of it that are the grimy, difficult, challenging, prostitution-driven, uh, abuse places. And you, you learn to love and choose to love the city in the ways that God loves the city, which is unconditional. And I believe this is an important part of our culture, important part of our community. And there's a lot of things in this month I believe we'll be talking about that will really um, ask questions, right? And say, look, hey, what is it supposed to look like? When you study history and you study the aspects of reformers uh, and what it looked like, even going back to the Reformation uh, and the birth of uh, the Protestant church, you see, these, uh, you see these incredible historical movements. Um, and when you look at a modern-day church culture, We've been saturated with sermons, we've been saturated with teachings, and we've been saturated with a diversity of church uh, denomination options. Like within this city alone, I don't know how many denomination options there are for you, but there are a lot. And then there are different flavors and different pastors and different leadership and different community types. Um, And you have all of these different options and all of these different ideas so when we, when we come up with a series like Reformers, first and foremost, we've got to ask ourselves the question, like, why do a series on Reformers? And I believe that it's important for us to understand not only that God transforms us, the individual, Romans 12, 2 is the foundational scripture for me on transformation. Be, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Transformed by the renewal of your mind so that you may prove what is the perfect and acceptable will of God. We must not be mistaken that transformation or a reformation of us as individuals is the Christian lifestyle. Which means don't get too comfortable in the current form you find yourself in, even if it's a positive form. You guys tracking with me right now? You may say, hey, where I am now is a whole lot further than where I was. Man, you should have seen me before I got saved. 
And that's awesome. I'm so glad that you have found a different form than whatever that form was before you followed Jesus. But also know that even though it's better than the former version that you had, I am telling you now that God is changing you again today and then tomorrow and then the next day. And it's not because he doesn't love you where you're at right now. God loves you more than you could ever imagine right now in your current form. He'll love you tomorrow if you regress and you return to a former self. He will love you no matter what. Your change does not change how much God loves you. You guys tracking with me on this? The reason I say this is because we can't think that we need to change so as to earn God's love for us. This is not and will never be about us earning his love. You guys with me on that? Okay, so there are a lot of scriptures. There are a lot of things we're going to reference today. Uh, And uh, when you want to look at reform, uh, there are some really important triggers or certain things that are catalysts for change. Have you observed that in your life, pain is a catalyst for change? It's a great one, isn't it? It's just awesome the way pain is a literally momentum movement creator for change. Uh, And I I believe there's some really good scriptures that we're going to read right now, but I want to say at the foundation, at the outset of this, is that it is not sufficient for us to just have pain in our life in order for us to change. We must have a larger vision of what we're becoming. So you can't just have an anti-vision, you got to have a vision. Meaning you can't just be like, I know I don't want to be that thing. You got to know what you're actually becoming. Because that's how we are formed, is we're formed with a model, with the potter's hands on our life into a certain image. And we're going to study that out today. We're going to identify what it is we're being formed and shaped into. And we're going to identify what to do with certain catalysts of pain and negativity we have experienced in our life. We're going to learn that these things are supposed to be helpful to us finding a greater revelation of Jesus. All right, cool. Let's jump into the word. Romans 5, 1 through 5. See, the Bible talks a lot about these negative suffering trial aspects of our life so as to give it appropriate place an appropriate context to what God is doing, because never be mistaken, God is always working in your life. Always. 100%. We're not always aware of what he's doing, and sometimes, frankly, we don't like what he's doing. Because sometimes we liked our cheese before he moved it. Sometimes we liked no one on our lawn, and he walked up onto our lawn. You know what I mean? I have four kids, and my life right now is about learning that nothing will ever again stay where I left it. (laughs) No thing I organized will ever stay the same, ever. I went over to my buddy Donovan's house, and uh, I realized how much I actually like to organize. Like, I was there, and I started to, like, clean things and organize things. And I realized, like, it was my way of, of, like, having an outlet of organizing because my house is just impossible. So I was like, I'll do it here. This will be my outlet. 
Anytime, right? Anytime. I need. Which, by the way, <laughs> so good. Yeah, you're welcome. Love you, buddy. Love you. <laughs> Romans 5, 1 through 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, small note here, justification and sanctification, these are different. Justification comes by faith. Sanctification is an actual uh, product of our works changing. It's a character transformation. Justification is not earned. Sanctification is an actual expression. It shows up in our works becoming more holy. That's a side note. That's not what I'm preaching about today, but it's a really important one, and maybe one day I'll preach on sanctification. Justification is powerful. Write it down, look it up if you want to look more into it. But justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we also have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Yay, sufferings. (laughs) We should do that as our first worship song of Sunday. (laughs) We should just make it a rejoice in our sufferings always. And again, I say rejoice. Is that how the lyrics go? So there's the rejoice in our sufferings. Rejoice in our sufferings. We've really got to illustrate and understand this with our lives because We say it, right, but oftentimes we stay stuck in the place that just doesn't like suffering. We avoid it. We're allergic to it. We try and get medication as to eliminate it in our life. We try and get so mature with Jesus that we'll never have to suffer again. And sometimes we even subscribe to a version of the gospel that eradicates suffering from our lives. And has us living in mansions and wealths with servants and never having to walk again. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. Yes, this is so fun. And character produces hope. Character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Okay, so what did this scripture accomplish? Well, it gave context to the pain. It gave purpose to the suffering. It gave purpose to the trials of our life and to perhaps, you may say, what is a catalyst for change. That is Suffering is a catalyst for change. It literally causes us to gain something in Jesus that we wouldn't have been able to gain if it weren't for the suffering. So when we really understand the role of suffering in our life or negativity or pain, then we really do understand how to see it, experience it, and let, us, let it propel us into a great pursuit of Jesus. Some mistakes we make are taking the sufferings and just giving ourselves a vision of anti-suffering. So if something caused us pain, say it was an alcoholic abusive father, 
Sometimes our vision is, I just don't want to be an alcoholic. But the problem with this is, this isn't a vision of Jesus. This is an anti-vision of an abuse of some kind of substance. But the vision of Jesus ought to swell and flood into our hearts to say, I don't just have a vision of not being an alcoholic, but I have a vision of being like Jesus. Specifically in the way that I handle my emotions or I'm capable of handling my pain so as not to drown it with a certain ingredient. So the the idea here is that we're not just repelled by pain, we are attracted to Jesus. We could use a hundred different examples, right? We could use a thousand different examples of what we've experienced that was really challenging and really bad. And you may not know it, but you, you have perhaps one side of the coin of what God is designing in your life in terms of a reform in order for you to be like him. If you took inventory of your life, you may actually recognize that you have a lot of anti-visions. You have certain things you experience from leaders or friends or churches or parents or grandparents, and you're like, I don't know what I'm supposed to be, but I sure know that I don't want to be that. So it's a good start is what I'll say. But the problem with staying there is that we stay in a place of being motivated by hurt. And when we allow ourselves to stay in a place where we are motivated by hurt, we become bitter visions. We don't become visions of what Jesus designed in the earth or is intending to design in the earth. All we become is a retaliation or a reaction of that bad thing we experienced over there. But here's the challenge is that the other side and or the opposite of a bad thing could also be another bad thing. So you could have experienced somebody that was very angry and very aggressive, and you could have been like, man, I'm never going to be like that. And then if you don't find a vision in Jesus of what he's creating in you, you may just become super passive, super weak, and have no ability to form, shape anything ever. So the challenge is the opposite of aggressive and violent is not the vision of God. That's the challenge is we can't just take the opposite of a bad thing and say it's God. It requires us to find another way. It requires us to seek God. It requires us to look to Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. And I'm going to read that scripture to you because it's in Hebrews 12, 1 through 10 is the whole passage, but we're going to read 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. It says, let us lay aside every weight, every sin. So whatever negative sin you've experienced in your life, either one you've expressed or someone who expressed to you, every sin ought to be laid aside. Every sin, not just that sin you experienced, but also whatever the reactionary opposite side of the coin you may take on ought to also be laid aside. Are you guys tracking with me? There are these scriptures that really point to and warn us. There is a way that seems right to a man in the end it leads to death. 
I know sometimes the, our idea of reformation is just not being the bad thing. But God's idea of reform is taking that bad, sinful thing and creating righteous expressions. Okay, let's read the rest of that scripture. And let us run with endurance. Again, that word endurance. I love this word endurance because I used to love to run really far distances. And most people did not like running far distances. I used to love it because there was a lot of people who could keep up with me when I was in sports. The first mile, you know, and some people the second mile, they were still with me. But then all of a sudden, third, fourth, fifth mile, they were nowhere to be found. Endurance is this beautiful thing that we see expressed in our Christian walk. That, that word, that intangible, that characteristic is, is one that we ought to carry into every single scenario where God is reforming us. Because endurance is this great skill set that we utilize in the many different seasons of change we run into. See, there is the skills uh, of reformation with Jesus that we ought to pick up. Endurance is one of them. It is a skill, it is a characteristic that can be used in almost every version of reform God is doing in your life. You guys with me? So you can, you, can, you can go from a place of going, I don't like change. I'm going to raise my hand for that part of the church survey. To going, you know what? I've actually really learned to embrace change. I, I, I found endurance with Jesus. I found endurance in each season. That if I stay walking with him, I can endure. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus. Looking to Jesus. So the Bible does this great job of illustrating what some of these emotional seasons should look like uh, metaphorically or symbolically, which means when you experience something wrong, something bad, a lot of times we do this thing where we fixate on it. Have you ever fixated on the bad things that happened to you? Rehearse them over and over and over and over, and then all of a sudden, 40 years has gone by and you circled in the desert. What is it? It's just a rehearsal. It's a rehashing of the same space, the same land, the same thing over and over and over and over again. See, and even the way Moses actually led with the Israelites, you actually look at what happened there. And he struck the rock rather than speaking to the rock. Why did he strike the rock? Because he was mad at the Israelites and because it was what he did the first time. But he was mad at them. He was frustrated. So he reacted to the sin of Israel with his own sin. We've got to be aware of the way we react to sinful, painful things. Because if we are not careful, they will author a different sin in us. It's a reactionary sin. It's a reactionary one. We all have great opportunity for reactionary sin in our life. Anti-vision is not a vision of God. Even anti-sin is not truly a vision of Jesus. Jesus. 
looking to Jesus, in our lives, there is a real focus dynamic we've got to understand. And my oldest son, Brixton, I started to teach him the word focus because we homeschool him, and he's six. (laughs) There's certain times I have a real conviction that what we're doing, homeschooling, is great. And there's other times I go, this is the worst mistake of my life. (laughs) It's hard, it's challenging, but I taught him this word, focus. I said, Brixton, you got to learn to focus. You're super smart. And when you're paying attention to it, you got to focus. So learn to focus. And so he says the word like I say it. You know, he goes, focus. (laughs) (laughs) And And we were driving to his baseball game yesterday, and he tells his sister they're talking about something, right? He's like, I could tell you about this, and we could talk about it. He said, but you know what? I got a game coming up, and I got to focus on it. <laughs> he said, this is my son. <laughs> looking to Jesus, looking to Jesus. See, sometimes the hardest thing for us is to see Jesus because we don't want to stop looking at the pain and the injustice of the sin in our life or the sin that has impacted us. So we fixate on it, we prosecute it, we write notes on it, we journal it, we say all the reasons it's wrong, all the reasons it's bad, and we just lock our eyes on it. We just, and all of a sudden, Jesus says it so well here. I mean, it really, it says it so well here in Hebrews. It's like, look to Jesus. If you want to see a reform, You want to see a different behavior. You don't want to see that sin shape you and community. Look to Jesus. If you ever want to know what the solution is of overcoming sin, it's the image of Jesus. Fixate your eyes on it. Look to it. Meditate on it. That's why the word says meditate on his words day and night. It's this this focus. It's this meditation that allows us to see Jesus in his behavior, in his characteristics, and it does this really, really amazing thing, that it actually, in a very intimate way, forms the image of Jesus in place of that painful image that you experienced in your life. See, Jesus doesn't just transform in some kind of like lackadaisical, inaccurate way. When Jesus works in your life, it is very intimate and it is very much focusing on the places of bondage and brokenness so that he can walk into this space, deliver you from that sin, deliver you from that form, and establish his form or image. Isn't that cool? So if you got anger issues, guess what? The peace of God is visiting you to author God's peace. He's not just saying, stop being angry. He's not just saying, stop being weak. He's saying, look, I'm going to pull out, you're going to stop being angry because you're going to be like me in this place, which is to have peace. You're not going to be weak in that place anymore because guess what? I'm going to give you the grace or the strength to be like me. See, God doesn't ask us to be delivered of something without giving us something else. 
So we got to stop this one-legged version of Christianity where we just try and not have bad things. And we've got to introduce the second ingredient of Christianity, which is receiving the amazing, beautiful impartation of the form of Jesus in our life. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of God, at the right hand of the throne of God. If you really want to understand the image of God's stuff, it's in Romans 8, 29, 2 Corinthians 3, 18, and Philippians 3, 21. And I'll read each one to you. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. 2 Corinthians 3.18, And we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. And the last one, Philippians 3.21, Who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. All right, so we find ourselves in this really interesting, amazing place. And I believe that reform of anything, society, culture, church culture, anything, must, 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 must come from the foundation of our understanding of personal reform. Or biblically, probably even a more accurate word at that point would be personal transformation. Our images, our beings being reformed and shaped into the image of Jesus. Isn't that fun? Okay, so then we, we see this interesting place. And, you know, we, we, we study these different things in history. Uh, how many of you guys have heard of Luther, uh, Martin Luther, and the way he uh, uh, really started, uh, started the Reformation? Uh, posting the thesis, and you see this historical precedent of a man that observed the way church culture, at that time it was Catholic, Catholic religion, was behaving and or was setting certain things uh, in society. And he took issue to a few of them, which interestingly enough, as a pastor, you actually still face these things. Like one branch of the Reformation was Anabaptists, uh, and one of their main stances was, we don't baptize babies. And interestingly enough, if you're a pastor, you'll know that many people come at different points and ask if you can baptize their baby. Did you know this? So 1500s was when the Reformation took place. 500 years later, the question is still being asked, and the dynamic is still being discovered and challenged. As to, do we baptize babies? Why? Why not? And this is the point of all the things I'm going to say. Is that when you look to history, you see that certain reformers at different points and periods of time, including Luther, did a reformation or created a reformation. And what is really beautiful about a reformation and or reformers, is when they don't only observe what is wrong in church culture and or in church, but they also identify what the revelation of Jesus is that is supposed to be introduced and established in counter to the corruption, hypocrisy, 
and misses that we currently see right now. I believe that this conversation is best happening out loud in front of people. The discussion is important. It's significant. We all in this place should be observing church culture as we're experiencing it now. And we should do exactly what Luther did, which is observe the traditions, trends, sermons, teachings, practices, and ask, is this Jesus? Is it biblical? Is it the Spirit of God? Or is it the spirit of man hiding in the church, expressing itself with self-exaltation things? There are many things in the modern church right now that each one of us should observe and ask questions like, is that what Jesus has intended the church to be? And so that's without getting into any specifics or this person or this movement or this religion or this denomination or this, that, and the other because it's not even so important right now specifics of this movement's bad or this denomination's bad or this person's bad. I am not interested, frankly, in demonizing or villainizing a particular expression as I am about all of us being incredibly, incredibly mature in our ability to observe Jesus understanding how he wants the church to be here on earth. And so what does that look like here at this church? What does that look like in this city? What does that look like in the nation? Well, I believe that each one of us is a reformer. I believe that each one of us is somebody that is being transformed by God and is also observing things around them that are not of God. And so there's some ways that this goes really wrong. Hateful truth speak. This isn't biblical. Ephesians 4 says, speaking the truth in love. And this is in the same exact context where it's talking about the fivefold. This is in the same exact context where it's talking about each one of us has a role, each one of us has a part. You know, last week in in our last month's series, Ascension dealt with a lot of the things that happened post-Jesus' Ascension, which includes offices and gifts and roles found in community. And the really cool, beautiful thing is, is that I hold the microphone and I talk on the mic more than most talk on the mic, but I am one sliver. I'm really one sliver of what is supposed to be this, is, this church's expression and value expressed in community and towards one another. This community will be at its absolute best when I am, at the very least, one of five folds of equal and significant value to this community. A lot of times we like to communicate the five-fold dynamics and the church government dynamics like, yeah, 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 five-fold, totally, 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 but we got to have one fold that's like really substantially more than the other folds, and also we should probably let it be a little bit higher, and maybe it should have a crown on its head, and maybe it should be the one that makes the calls for everything. See, I believe this is an image found in church culture that needs reform. I believe this is an expression found in church culture that is not only found on the leadership side, but is also experienced on the experiential side. And then we go church to church wondering who's in charge. 
or wondering who the pastor is, what the pastor's vision is, what the pastor's, you know, DNA is or personality type is. The thing of it is, is that if you look to Scripture, I just don't see that in Scripture. Being that if you come to this place, the Mountain Church, and you expect and or you approach this thing like I, me, the man of God or the pastor here, will be the beacon and the symbol of what we all ought to look like, that's a huge miss. I am not the model of Christianity. I am not the image of what the end of your discipleship journey looks like. I may not even be the most mature amongst us. (laughs) I may not. And this can be perplexing. This can be even a little bit challenging because we think like, whoa, What is this supposed to be? Like, who are we going to trust if we can't trust the guy with the microphone? Well, the reality is, is that you, and this is, hear me really, really clearly on this. You shouldn't trust any man to be the image of what you are becoming. Ever. No matter how awesome or talented or gifted they are. No matter how much scripture they can rehearse and or quote to you. No man is qualified to be the image that we are becoming in our transformative journey. So if if I'm doing a good job as a leader here, it means that I am making room for others so as to create a mosaic of what Christ looks like here in this church. See, If you put me and then Vincent and Jessica and Robin and Jabron and Tim and and et cetera, et cetera, and Jeanette and Matt, if you put us together, our faces, more accurately, we will be more like Jesus. But if you separate them all out and you put me or somebody else on the poster of what it ought to look like, we do a really poor job of reflecting the image of Jesus. Speaking the truth in love so that we may grow into the head, which is Christ. It's found in Ephesians 4. Speaking the truth in love. Why is this important? Because if you have a truth and you don't know how to speak it in love, you have yet to partner with the nature of Jesus in how you see the world. So if you speak the truth out of love, guess who love is? God is love. Direct quote Bible. God is love. If you can't find a way to speak your truth in love, then you got to find yourself back in God. You know, John 15 says this really amazing symbolic language, which is abide in me and I in you. This is Jesus talking. So if you're speaking the truth and it's not in love, be aware that your residency is probably fractured away from living in Jesus. So you may think your plight or your crusade is truthful and it may be your truth. But I can tell you right now, if your truth isn't spoken in love, it is not producing the righteousness of God. It is producing the truthful perspective of a single man or woman. And oftentimes truth can't be spoken in love because it's said with a vindictive, revengeful hurt bitter mentality. 
That's the challenge for us personally, is that when we experience things that we are like, that is wrong. Have you ever experienced something in church, in, in governance, and or in pastoring and leadership, here or there or anywhere where you go, that is wrong? Have you ever experienced that? This is a, a, a beautiful thing to recognize and go, I experienced that. I know that's wrong. And then the process of what to do from there is the process of going from just somebody who knows what's wrong to somebody who is actually being formed in shape as a reformer of the sin or the wrong they've experienced. So what do you do when you've experienced that painful wrong thing, especially in church culture? You take it and you go, paramount to anything I learn about this is what? Forgiveness and love. Forgiveness and love are the unquestionable, non-negotiable terms of the Christian walk. No matter how bad that thing is that you experienced, God calls you to forgive. We should never move the goal line of forgiveness so as to prioritize justice or change of the negative things ahead of forgiveness. First and foremost, before you try and change anything, forgive and forgive and forgive and then get mad again because it's already in there and forgive some more and forgive some more and confess that you didn't forgive last night and you went to bed on your anger and ask God for deliverance to remove that, that foothold of the enemy and then forgive again and again and again and again. And don't say things like, I got to forever remember this pain so I'll never let it take advantage of me again. Because you know what you just did right there? You made pain your bodyguard, protector, and covering. So when we allow hurt and bitterness to be our covering, guess who's no longer our covering? See, hurt and bitterness are not aligned with God. We must leave the shell of unforgiveness and hurt. We must leave it. Even if we're turtles, leaving our little protection. Walking around just like soft, putty things, you know. I don't even know, can a turtle leave its shell? Uh, this is, I am no zoologist. <laughs> I'm going to stick to what I know. <laughs> Hermit crab, that's good, yeah. <laughs> there you go, thank you. <laughs> What's your vision of change? Is it simply the bad things you've experienced? Because that's not reformation. When Luther challenged the hypocrisy and the deception in the Catholic Church, he actually spoke to exact wrong things, and he actually spoke to it in a biblical sense. He said, look, that thing you do about indulgences, where you allow people to be punished so as to make their sin punishment small. Like when you allow them to even pay money so as to have a shorter purgatory, he's like, guess what? That's not biblical. That's not biblical. You're taking advantage of a human tendency to want to work its way out of the punishment of sin. So Luther actually challenged the deception found in the religious institution of the Catholic Church for what purpose? so that people may experience the true Jesus. Because you know what was becoming abusive? Indulgences. 
This idea of purgatory, this idea of these different things where you could do this, that, or the other and pay a penance for sin. These things were becoming abusive to control people. Why do we reform? It's so that we can be in the image of Jesus. It's so that we can be delivered from fear because it's tormenting. It's so that we can be delivered from the power of sin and the enemy because it's abusive and it's painful and it's awful and it's the worst. And we should leave it at all costs and walk with Jesus. And what should we do when we find ourselves practicing the sinful approaches? We should reform. We should be transformed by God. What do we do when we recognize that we're the ones manipulating, we're the ones controlling, we're the ones that are using fear to dictate and or determine our environment? What do we do when we're the ones that are actually in a place of sin? Confess. Ask God for forgiveness. What do we do when our churches, as they are expressed in our church cultures, our approaches, what do we do when our church is in a place where it needs to change? You see what I'm saying? You see what I'm getting at? This is not just about looking at other people across the road and going, yo, you are jacked up. It's too easy to look at somebody else and point out all their sin, all their shortcomings, all of their failures, and all the things they need to change. It's too easy to do that alone. We must put ourselves on the table with God and say, form us, shape us. We have some things we think are wrong, for sure. We have some things that we think could be done better, for sure. But half of the things, I don't even know what the vision of Jesus is yet. I just know what I don't like. And that's no reformation vision. That's no reformation vision. So in those things, I'm still in process. And I'm saying, God, I seek your face. I'm looking unto you, the author and the perfecter of my faith. The author and the perfecter of my faith. Oh, sweet, you're creating it in me. You're doing it in me, God. And in the process, I am letting go and I am forgiving. I am I'm finding myself in love. I am fighting tooth and nail to have love, forgiveness, and humility. <laughs>